2 Kings. I've got to watch myself not saying 1 Kings. So 2 Kings chapter 1. We are moving on. I think it's like 3rd or 4th Kings in the Jewish Bible. There's those broken up even more. But uh, we're 2 Kings chapter 1. As I said, it's kind of continues right over. Um, typically it's divided here because of scroll size. And so our, our story continues <clears throat> from where it left off. You know, we leave, we leave off with... You know, uh, Ahab's died, his son's taken over, and so we start out a story with him, uh, and that's where we are in chapter 1. So, second book of Kings, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And so this is a northern territory there, it was a kingdom that they probably had some peace agreement with, I'm sure he had several that we'd looked at through there, and they're rebelling, so, so war is coming. And it just kind of tells us that for some of the context. I think it puts a little continuity where we are. Because um, then it kind of, the author jumps down and tells us uh, an event that really doesn't have nothing to do with that. At least it's not how we can see it put together. But an accident that happens. And uh, there's some speculation we can put in. But uh, verse 2, it says, in, uh, Ahaziah, this is uh, Ahab's son, uh, the new king of the northern tribe, the king of, uh, uh, called the house of Israel. They're Home operations is Samaria, so it's not Judah. This is the northern kingdom. Um, and this is Ahab's son. So Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria. This is the capital city, and he was sick. And he sent messengers, and he said, Go on, uh, and he said unto them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, uh, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. So, first thing is that he's fallen through some lattice. And we, and we see through. Um, the book of the laws, Leviticus, it talks about if you have a second story, you're to have lettuce so, lattice so far much, not lettuce, that doesn't do much good, but, but lattice so far up. And it's basically building code, you know, like, hey, if you're going to have a second floor and you're going to have people up there, you need to be responsible for their safety. Put a railing up, you know, and so it was one of those things. It was like a railing, and he fell through it. A lot of the speculation is this guy is a chip off the old block of his dad Ahab. He's probably drunk, has staggered, fallen through the lattice and fallen down, and so now says he's sick, he's probably got internal injuries. You know, who, who knows how far he fell. Who did, maybe he landed on his head. He's able to talk, but it's, you know, he, he fears he's going to die. <clears throat> and he wants to know. And boy, uh, so he's like, hey, i got to find out. And the weird thing is, Ahaziah means Jehovah holds, or Yahweh, you know, the, the, the Lord holds, or the Lord possesses. So he's got a godly name, but who does he send off to? He sends off to Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, right? That, that's it's like, let me go ask him, the God of Ekron. This is a, a, a Philistine God. Go ask him whether I'm going to recover or not. It's like, uh, that's, that makes sense. You know, that, that's like, why would you go there? Well, one, we know his parents, right? Uh, Jezebel and Ahab, they brought in Baal. They brought in Beelzebub, a local, uh, one of those local deities. Um, this would be part of that pantheon that we... Talked about on Sunday night where when God divided up the countries, he put a deity, well, a little G-God, um, some angel that was supposed to be there working on his behalf that perverted it, that said, no, worship me. Uh, and so he's like, go ask them. That's Lord of the Flies. That's normally how you see it. And I can't think of Lord of the Flies, and, and I don't think of the book. I have to think of the book that I had to read in high school, you know, Lord of the Flies, where it's a, a book about these boys stranded on an island, and there's a pig's head with flies, and it's very disturbing. But, <laughs> but I think of that. But <clears throat> I, one day I, I went through and I really researched the name and all, 
and it's Lord of the Flies, or it can be Lord of the Flyers, which is kind of interesting when you think about wandering stars and, and stuff in the Prince and the Power of the Air, um, airwaves that way. And so there's a lot of speculation what that might be. But this is, it's not God. Some little G God, some God of Ekron, like I said, this little town from um, of the Philistines. And so he sends outside of his jurisdiction. And, and, and we're going to see on Sunday nights as we're going through that boundaries make a difference. You know, God has set boundaries. God has put these places in there, but they're always encroaching on his. And now here, he is the God of Israel. And this guy is saying, no, I want to go find out what the God of Ekron has to say. It's insulting on insulting of insulting, you know, especially when you have God who has shown himself to be mighty. He's already defeated 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Ashtaroth, and had them killed and, you know, with Elisha before. And this guy knows all that. He's his son, and so we're going to see that he, he, he knows about Elijah. He knows what's going on as, as the story continues. And so, yet, he's not learned any lessons. His father's been killed, miraculously, as we've seen before, fulfilling scripture. And then here he is, you know, saying, let's go ask and, and, and see if I'll recover. So that kind of gives us the context for verse, or what happens here. Verse 3, it says, But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite, this is the hero, this is the prophet, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that you go to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? So God moves Elijah. Where is he at? I don't know. You know we, we've seen him. He usually he's in the wilderness. He's usually out and about, kind of hiding because we know that there's a death warrant out for him all the time. And so he's out there and God moves him. Angel Lord comes and tells him, you go and say this to him. Uh, verse 4. So now therefore, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not come down from that bed on, uh, that thou hast gone up, and he shall surely die. And Elijah departed. And so... Um, he comes, let me see where it was. So he must, uh, it doesn't tell us about there. I knew it comes up in verse 5 that we see that the messengers leave. So apparently as these messengers have gone out, Elijah intercepts them. He answers their question, and they don't get to Beelzebub. They don't get to go to Ekron and ask this question, so he's going to come back fast. But here's what he does. So he tells him, verse 4 says, Now therefore thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, and shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. So let's think about what's going on. Um, Ahaziah has fallen through the lattice. He's injured himself. He wants to ask a foreign god how he's going to do. Am I going to survive or am I not going to survive? And so God stirs up Elijah from wherever he is with enough advance notice that he gets there. He's able to intercept um, these messengers as they go out. And God, so God sends Elijah. God knows the question. Hey, you, you're marching to go up into Ekron to ask this question of Beelzebub? Let me tell you the answer. So he knows the question before they even ask it, and he tells him, no, you're not going to survive. And first of all, why are you going to go ask you know, Beelzebub what's going on? Is there not a God in Israel? Am I not here? Do I not live here? Do I not exist? Do I not, am I not your God? And so he's insulted of him going and asking this. And he says... Uh, you know, why, why do you got to go? So he kind of challenges them. Why are you going to go talk to a foreign God? You know, when you, I'm here. And then God gives him the answer. Here's your answer. No, you're not going to recover. You're going to die. And so they turn around and they go back. So verse 5, it says, And when the messengers turned back unto him, back to the king, he said unto them, uh, Why are you now turned back? So apparently it didn't take them any time at all. It makes you wonder if they cleared the city gates. There's Elijah standing out there waiting for him. Here's your answer. You don't have to go to Ekron to get the, get the answer. Go back and tell this guy he's going to die. And so he's, 
gets his answer real quickly. He's like, whoa, what's going on? You know, this was before email, this was before texting. You know, how, how do we find this answer this fast? Verse 6, when they said unto him, there came a man up to meet us, and he said unto us, go turn again unto the king that sent you, and say unto him, thus saith the Lord, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou shouldest um, sendest to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but but shall surely die. So they report accurately. They say how they're going out. They meet this guy. He tells them the answer. He knows the question. He knows where they are going. He knows the the deity in which they're going to go ask these things. And so he gives them all the answers. So he's like starting to turn his brain. The king's like, someone's told you all this stuff? I got an inkling who this is, verse 7. And he said unto them, What manner of man was he that came up to meet you that told you these words? Describe this guy. Tell me what this guy looked like. I have a suspicion who this guy is. And so they tell him, and they answered him. And he said, so He was a hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. So he's oh. Describes him, and he describes him as he'd seen him before, because chances are he'd been in there as um, he'd faced his mother and his, his father, and he's in this rough attire. That's the attire of a mountain man, somebody who lived outside, because he lived outside. He has this leather girdle, and he has this uh, a hairy-type garment on. It's a very um, distinguished uh, garment. We're going to see that this clothing that he wears is going to play into a picture, and then I'm also going to tell you of a... a Something that's not in the Bible, but it's kind of a colorful Jewish tradition uh, that then plays into some of the events that happens in Luke. But uh, uh, I'll, I'll fill that in as we get there. And so he's just like, mm, you know, mountain guy, rough guy. Um, you got to figure he's kind of like Esau here, you know, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's born smooth man, and he, 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 he liked things of the house. Then there's Esau, the mountain, the mighty hunter guy, the guy who goes out and, and, and is able to fight and to hunt and, and to do all these things. And he was kind of a hairy, roughneck uh, kind of guy, and so a uh, wilderness man. And so he's like, it's Elijah the Tishbite. And you can almost hear the music, you know, as it scores to it. Dum, dum, dum. You know, it's kind of like his enemies come back again. Now what are we going to do? We have the antagonist to the story who is coming. And it's like, oh, he's probably like his dad. This guy never has anything good to say about me. And that's going to be right because you're going to go talk to Beelzebub. Um, which, again, it's crazy the stuff that's going on in our world. You know, I talked to you about some crazy things on Sunday night crazier stuff has already happened. It's only Wednesday. You know, stuff that is going on, the bail of, uh, or the, the, the arch of bail, how they're moving around to all the political headquarters, the, the leader of CERN, they've invited the Bilderberg to the point where this raising up suspicions of what's going on. Why are these world leaders talking to the CERN leaders? What have they done? What have they opened up or connected to? Uh, we live in a crazy world today. Um, we'll talk more about Sunday, but, uh, Stuff's going on. And so he, he's like, wow, ah, we're kind of at this point of what's happening. And so uh, he, he finds out that it's Elijah the Tishbite. It's okay, so verse uh, 9. And the king said unto him, so he's like, all right, we got to go find Elijah. And he sent unto him a captain of 50 with his 50. And so you got, that's 51. You have a captain over 50 guys. So you have 50 guys plus one. That tells you a little bit what, what he thinks of Elijah. Uh, he's not going to come easily. He's going to be a tough catch. Send out 50 guys. I mean, if, it's, if you're just going to go catch somebody, wouldn't you send one or two guys, uh, four or five of your best guys? Tells you a little respect he has for Elijah. Hmm, I need 50 guys, and I need a captain over them, a strategist, to go and, and, and catch Elijah and bring him to me. So we have 51 guys that are going after him. And so verse 9, And the king said unto him, A captain of 50 and his 50, 
And he went up to him, and behold, he sat on the top of a hill. And we've kind of seen him there before. He was on Sinai one other time, you know, and he's kind of a retreat place. He likes to go up in the mountains. Like I said, he's a mountain man. And he spake unto him. So he walks right up to him. So Elijah just sits there. You know, he fits the description. There's a hairy guy sitting on a hill, you know, <laughs> girded with leather. So that's got to be him. So he walks right up to him. It's not like Elijah has, like, you know, if it was going to be a Rambo movie, he'd have trip wires. You know, to have all these little things letting him know somebody's getting close. Let's him walk right up to him. You know, so he walks right up to him. Tells you the confidence that he has. And he says, um, he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king has said, come down. He's like, you got to come with us. The king has said, the authority of the land. You know, King Ahaziah, you got to come with us. I kind of picture Elijah not even stopping what he's doing. You know, he's doing what his morning routine is. You know, he's making his coffee. Or he's doing whatever time of day it is. And then here's what he said, verse 10. And Elijah answered, and he said to the captain of 50, If I be a man of God... Then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. <laughs> and we already know what the fire of God can do. You know, that Elijah's done it before when he's on Mount Carmel, that they had the sacrifice. They had the sacrifice soaked in water. He had a trench around it so that water is on there in a drought. And God's holy fire comes down, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the water, licks up the dust, consumes the very rocks. Because in my mind, I'm like, you know, is this kind of like, uh, I saw a Star Trek episode once where they all turned into these little crystals and their little button, and then they would turn into powder piles as they were there as they beamed down. Um, episode 51. No, I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but it's something like that. Yeah, but it's like, um, beams them down. You know, is there little ash piles? They're like, oh, there's 50 ash piles plus their leader there. Probably, it could be nothing. You know, it could be whoosh, just consumed by this fire. And so, man. Bad news for them. So apparently, as his statement is, if I be a man of God, fire will come down and consume you. Fire comes down and consumes him. Elijah's a man of God, man of the Lord. Uh, verse 11. Again, speaking of the king, again, also he sent unto him another captain of 50 with his 50. And he answered and he said unto him, O man of God, thus, say, uh, thus hath the king said, come down quickly. He adds to it. No more playing around. Come down quickly. Now, you got to come with us. Elijah's pretty terrified by this. No, not. Verse 12, And Elijah answered and said unto him, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee in thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him in his fifty. Man, just boom. You know, God verifies, this is my mouthpiece. Listen to him. What he says is true. He's consumed now 102 guys. 102 people have been consumed with not even lifting a finger, nothing. You know, that the Lord has just done it. God has consumed them, taken it all. Verse 13. And he sent again another captain, a third time, another guy, a captain of the 50 and the 50. That tells us something about Ahaziah here, this, this king. He doesn't respect life. Oh, I've lost 102 guys. Send another 51 more. Go out there. I bet I'll get a different result. You know, they call that stupidity. If you do the exact same thing time after time and expect a different result, that's stupidity. You, know, you all do that a few times, right? Oh, oh, and then you're probably like, I got to do something different. You know, it's like, I got to fix this. I got to approach it from a different angle. Not this guy. Life doesn't mean anything to him. It's not him. He's not going. Uh, another 51 guys. You know, go up there and get torched. Um, but this guy that he sends is no dummy. And so again, verse 13, he says, And he sent again a captain of fifty uh, of a third fifty and his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up, and he came and fell on his knees before Elijah, 
Again, Elijah lets him walk right up to him. He knows what's happened. You would think they'd come back a little more violent, a little more violent. As we saw, it was escalating. Come, come with us. Come quickly with us. You know, this guy's like, uh, I think he's learned some respect. He came, he fell on his knees before Elijah. He besought him, and he said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these fifty thy servants be precious in thy sight. Um, this guy's no dummy. <laughs> he's like, I've observed the results of this, and I've observed you don't go mess with Elijah. You know, so he, he's asked for this. And so he walks right up to him. They say their peace. And again, but this guy has some respect. He has some fear of the Lord here, right? It's not necessarily just a fear of Elijah. It's Elijah saying, asking, saying, I'm going to verify to you that I'm a man of the Lord. And fire's going to come down. He's fearful of this. He has some humility. He comes on his knees. You know, um, that's the easy to chop someone's head off when they're on their knees this way. So he comes up crawling, you know, a soldier this way. He makes a plea for life. If you value life, if you think life is precious, you know, you want to throw away another 51 lives like this? Is this what you want to do? So he makes this appeal for life. That's the God of the Bible. It's the God who says, choose life. Think of the Joshua. This day, decide who you're going to serve. As me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. You know, Moses puts before him, choose life or death. Which will you do? And he tells them the, everything that will happen if you choose death and everything that happens if you choose life. He's like, choose life. You know, and so we have this same thing. We're pro-life. We're for life. We're, we're for that. Sometimes the world gets confused. It's like, well, how can you be pro-death penalty as a Christian if you're pro-life? Because you kill the guy who keeps killing people. You have saved lives. It's like we, it's there. It's, it's common sense. And yet we keep releasing these criminals and we're like, I can't believe they killed again. I can't believe Muslims are attacking people. Wow. I thought they said they were a religion of peace. It's like, how stupid are we? Well, apparently I'm pretty stupid. You know, but, uh, and so, um, uh, it's almost like the Jedi mind trick on these guys. You know, they, they don't get it. Where God tells us to have examine things and know what is true and be smart. You see trouble, avoid it. You know, and, and then this way. And this guy's observed and he's like, I don't want to die. Verse uh, 14, he says, Behold, there came fire down from heaven and burned up the two captains in their former fifties and their fifties. Therefore, let my life now be precious in thy sight. He's pretty much just like saying, I'm not asking you to come with me. I, I have to obey the king because he's, he's, he's the one who's told me to do this. He says, but... Um, this is a death sentence. I know it. Uh, he, he, he now fears the Lord over the king. I've come to you and to the point where I had to do this, but I'm not going to order you to come with me. I'm not going to make you come down. I'm not do, who knows if his orders are even higher, you know, like kill him, stab him, do it, bring him down. He comes to me and he has a fear of the Lord over um, the fear of his king. That's good. We should have King Jesus over us. You know, that used to be the American flag, no king but King Jesus. You know, that, that, that's who's uh, the early revolutionary flag that we, that we wave. He's the Lord over us. He's the one who tells us what to do. That's a good place to be. Over his job, he's put Jesus Christ in over his boss. That's a good thing to do. You know, to have Christ be Lord over you. You're probably going to be a ten times better employee if you're serving the Lord than serving the boss anyway. Uh, he's not embarrassed by it. I mean, he's in front of all of his men, and he is a leader. That's usually what keeps a lot of right. I'm not going to look weak in front of my men. I'm not going to do all this. I'm going to go up, and I'm going to bowl, and they talk all this smack, and yeah, we're going to go. Fire, you know, and they're all done. This guy comes before him, and he crawls on his knees. Please, and his men all see it. You know, he is, and he's begging for life. He's begging for their lives, too. I'm sure at this point in time, they're all kind of like, yeah, let's go with that strategy. It's going to be a lot better than being ashes on top of the hill. And so, you know, they're, they're begging for life. He's the leader, so they have no say anyway, but uh, he's there and he's gone to him. So again, that's a, that's a good place for us to be. Not be fearful of our boss, not be fearful of the people around us, not to be fearful of what our job is, to not be even put ourselves in rulers of ourselves. You know what, you know what we learn? 
through the book of First and Second Kings what the point is in these books? Is that men can't rule. Men can't rule. Men, men aren't to be trusted. Men can't rule. Men fail. That's why God says, I was to be your king. You wanted this. Here's what you get. When I rule, it works. I guard. I protect. You have, you have life. You have abundance. When you rule, it's death. And when you invite others in to rule in my place, it's death. He says, no, you can't do it. You need me. Same way with Christ, right? Lord of my life, I crown you now, we sing. Thine to the glory be. You know, I put you on the throne of my heart. I died to myself. I make you king. Not my will, thy will be done. Is how we pray and what we say. That's what we ought to be doing. You know, your, your will be done on earth as in heaven through us. We're asking him to, to guide our feet, to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, to tell us how to go, how to live, how we're supposed to do these things. And it's still a struggle, but here we have it played out in front of us. Which one's better? So we need to take the note from this guy. Humbly ask him, Lord, please. Uh, and so he's come before the Lord, humble. And you know what? God's always looking for that. We've already seen that in other places, right? Uh, even with Ahab, right? Ahab, the one time where you're not expecting him to do it, he turns around and he is fearful. He's like, well, fine. He's going to die in front of his sons then. You know, versus him killing his sons in front of him. You know, so God respects it when you come to him humbly. That God, God is always paying attention to those who humbly come and ask. And so we, he has. And so... Um, God's will is, a, is a, the safe place to be. So verse uh, 15. It says, And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, Go down with him. Be not afraid of him. And he arose, and he went down with him unto the king. But, but let's look at the circumstance. Because we read it, and we're like, oh, it's Elijah. Well, yeah, he's a big deal. You know, he just called down fire twice. You know, so it's always it's safe to be Elijah. You know, we've already seen that Elijah's scared. He's a man like we are. Uh, last time when Jezebel says, by the time the day is over, you will be dead. You know, you'll be like my prophets. And he goes and runs. And matter of fact, he runs to the southern part of the country uh, down. He runs up into a mountain. And in the mountain, he hides in a cave. And it's there when finally God shows himself, you know, through the wind and the fire and the earthquake and all that stuff. You know, he was afraid for his life. Now God has just sent him into um, the den of lions, in essence. It's like, hey, this guy who sent a hundred and... No, 153 people to kill you, to come after you, go with him. Go to his place. Go where more soldiers are. Go into the throne room. Go where there are more weapons, more things aimed at you, more people trained to protect the king. Go down there right into the enemy's camp. You know, we look at it like, oh, yeah, he's Elijah. Yeah, you go and do that. What if someone told you to go do that? Oh, you go march down into this place where it's horrible and they're going to kill Christians. You go over there and you tell them the gospel and, and you stand up and give them the word of God. Um, go to some homosexual club and go down there and preach them the gospel. That'd be, is it what they need to hear? Yes. Do you want to give them the gospel? Yes. Do you want them to live? Yes. Is it a scary place? Do you think that they'll probably be violent to you? Probably. You know, so and yet there's not a whole lot of us lining up to do it. We should be giving them the gospel. It's the truth. We need to tell them, say, God loves you, you know, and then so we need to repent and trust in him. But he does it because the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. That's why missionaries can be like, like the Van Winkles from Morgantown going to Turkey. Muslim nation, you know, <laughs> right in the heart of Muslim nation. One of the countries mentioned in the end times that is being stirred up. We've got to give them the gospel. We've got to go. Why? Because someone called them to do it. It's just, and that's the safest place for them to go. To go in the middle of, of God's will, to go to Haiti, you know, to, to go on the streets of New York, you know, to go wherever our mission field is where God has called you. It's the safest place to be where, like, God has told me to do this. It's more dangerous not to. Ask Jonah. Yeah, right? He's going to throw you off a boat and you're going to be in the belly of the world because he's disobeying. I don't want to go there. I don't want them saved. I'm going to go to the far side of the world. 
Yeah, that's, that's a dangerous place. He's really delicious there in the belly of the whale. Elaine and I are listening to an old uh, Newsboys song there, in the belly of a whale. But he talks about how nutritious and delicious he is, and he hopes the fish doesn't get a belly ache. But he does, and throws him up on the shore. But a uh, fun song. <clears throat> but we need to be obedient. God's will is the safe will, place to be. Is the safest place for him to go with the enemy into the enemy's camp where they're pursuing him for his life. It is the safest thing for him to do. And so uh, you think, man, I'm glad that's Elijah and not me. Mm. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And this angel tells him, you know, don't be afraid. Go down there. Matthew 10, verse 28. Jesus tells this to us. He's talking to his disciples, but it comes down to us as his disciples on the earth today, as his students. Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body and are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. It's like when it comes down to fear, you're going to fear some king? You're going to fear some religious ruler? You're going to fear some you know, uh, hate-minded group in this way? Are you going to fear me? And I have told you to present the gospel. I have told you to go forth and present the gospel. I've told you to go and do this. Which one are you going to fear? But we wrestle with this all the time. It's a real deal. But he's already told us, it's better for you to fear the Lord and come before him and say, hey, I tried, they killed me, and the Lord said, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You know? Or to say, well, I was really afraid, so I took the, the gospel that you gave me, and I buried it someplace, and I didn't want to, I was afraid I'd mess it up, I wasn't going to do anything. Woe unto that servant, and you start going through that way. He says, oh, there's a lot of regret with him. And so he says, here, we need to have the right respect, you need to fear the Lord. Matter of fact, it's all through the New Testament. Fear not, fear not, fear not. Matter of fact, sometimes it seems like it's a greeting for Christians. You walk up to them, hey, fear not, you fearful. <laughs> so, um, yeah. 365 times. 365 times. One for each day of the year. That's so, yeah. So one, there's 365, and the King James, there's 365 fear nots. So yeah, one for each day. So whatever your fear is, fear not. Trust the Lord and obey him. So thank you. And uh, back to Second uh, Kings. So again, he, he, he sent him. And here's, he tells him it's safe. Elijah steps out in faith, walks and goes. Goes before an enemy king. We're going to see at the end, there's a lot of uh, parallels between him and Moses. Moses had to go before Pharaoh, right, who's wanting to kill them. Here Elijah's got to go before these kings, stand up before them, testify to something that they're not going to like, give them a message they're not going to receive. But man, it's pretty consistent through the Bible when you do go and do that hard thing and you do go and present it in that way. That God does guard you and protect you and give you the words to say on that day, let's quit being fearful and be believing. Let's stand up for him. Let's trust him. This is the same God who could call down fire on him. I mean, he didn't even, he just said, hey, if I'm his prophet, let God call down fire. And he does, you know, to validate him and to show his protection. Um, Elaine and I went camping last night. We were down like two miles deep into the woods, as deep a spot I've ever been in, in, in camping off road. And like, we really want to get out there and, an event happened that made us pretty fearful. I wasn't saying anything to her, you know, because I was being, eh, everything's fine. <laughs> and so she was there, but we finally both, and I thought she's going to be a nervous wreck all night, but we both finally prayed, you're the guy who's in charge of everything. You're the guy who puts her, God, you're the one who surrounds this tent. You're the one that goes all on. Lord, we put our hand, we put our faith and trust in you, and we went to sleep as comfortably as you could on the ground in a tent. And so, <laughs> so but you know, and I woke up like, oh, 
Yeah, he did it. I say, Thank you, praise you, Lord, you know, for doing, for doing this for us. You know, he does. It becomes practical. This is real life stuff. Where else can you go? You know, when you're um, miles away and something's going on someplace else. Well, I guess I could pray. No, you pray. You can ask the one who has the ability to do everything and all things. They can go into the surgery room. They can go and do these things. We ask and trust and believe. He has faith. We should have faith. Verse 16. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, again, the insult, not even in this area. He had to go to some other area. Go ask this foreign god, the god of Ekron. He says, is it not because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Do you not think that you can ask God and he wouldn't tell you? Do we not have prophets? Do I not have priests? Or, I don't know, he is, does have a priesthood, but I don't have uh, prophets around here. We're going to see there's a whole school of prophets. Plus you have Elijah. They know who he is. We've seen a couple other guys have already shown themselves to him and spoken open and honestly. And you're going to have to go to some other foreign god? And he's like, I'm, like, I'm not accessible. Man, just get right and get back down and get rid of those altars and, and go ask down Jerusalem. And so he's very insulted by this and to the point where he holds him accountable for it. He says, Therefore thou shalt not come off thy bed on which thou hast gone up, but, you shalt, but thou shalt surely die. It's like, you know you're not getting better. No, you're not going to recover from this drunk where you fell down off the thing and landed on your head. You're not going to recover from that. You're going to die. Now lay here and know that. There's peace and comfort. You're not going to recover. You're going to die. I mean, that's talking about pain and agony. Why does he do that? Do you think if this guy would have said, I am sorry. Why would I go and ask that? You are the king. Please, Lord, hear me. Do you think God wouldn't have acted? I know he would have acted. And we've seen him act before. We saw him act for his father. We, we know that he would do this. He would take a guy who had a double O license to kill Christians, take him, pursue him, and convert him into one of the biggest missionaries, the biggest missionary probably of all time, Paul the Apostle from Saul, the one who had a double O license, a license to kill, to go out and persecute Christians. He was the James Bond of his day. And yet he took him and converted him into one who went around and then faced death in every town. And they're like, everybody's telling him as he walks into town, we see you tied up and dying. Thanks, yeah, I got that in the other town too. <laughs> we see you get stoned. Yeah, I know it's coming. And he still kept going. You know, and if, but if you repent, God hears. God hears. Think it was between Saul and David, right? Uh, Saul never repented. David did. And David hears of him. And David puts him up as a standard throughout everywhere. The one who humbled himself and came back to me. A king who humbled himself and came back. If you'd just be like my servant David, humble yourself and tell him, confess, Lord, I have sinned against you and your kingdom. Create in me a clean heart. Restore the joy of my salvation and create a clean spirit in me. God says, ah, that's it. That's what I'm after. So the very next verse, we don't know how long it takes. We don't know how lingering this was. Verse 17, so he died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. He doesn't tell him anything different. He doesn't go into any extra elaborate thing. The same message I sent your guys is the same message I'm telling you. You just needed to listen. Yet you send 153 guys to come kill me. And, but it comes true. Again, fire from heaven proves that Elijah is God's spokesman. And now this has proven that Elijah is God's spokesman. And it says, And Jehoram, or Jeho, Jehoram uh, reigned in his stead in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because he had no sons. Uh, again, this kind of gets confusing because I think there's two of them that are named the same. But this is, uh, this is his brother. He has no kids, so he comes in. But I'm pretty sure they say that this is his brother. That comes in and rules in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Um, 
and we've talked about that before, that there's, a, there's the book of the, uh, the worldly events that they did, you know, how, how was the economy during their day, how much cities did they do, what kind of road building, that's all there. This is the spiritual nature. This guy was a loser. He gets one chapter, and uh, 102 guys die <laughs> at his expense, and then he dies on his bed. All right, chapter 2. Uh, and it came to pass, when the Lord would take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. That's a way to start a book. Start a chapter there. Oh, and it came to pass when Elijah is not going to die, but be taken by a whirlwind. At, at verse 1 here, you've got to think, is this because this was written after the fact that you're like, oh, here's this last day. Here's what this last time was like. Uh, it's a time when these things were going to happen. Maybe, but I think there's more going on. I think there's, people knew that this was going to happen. And again, we should look at this as a rapture. This is a rapture type. You know, this is a, a time where death does not come. He takes someone out, takes them up to heaven without them dying. Uh, he's done it one other time before with Enoch. He's done it here with Elijah. He's promised to do that with, I think, one other person, his bride, the church. And I think that's made up of many believers. Now, <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of debate with that going on today. It's a lot of one of these things that has attacked in the last days. Kind of told us it would be. Uh, a lot of mockers. I think this is more confidence that we could take. Again, he leaves, uh, uh, he leaves Elisha, but then again, the ministry's going on with us. Uh, he ignites 144,000 prophets. Uh, but, uh, uh, so this is a type, and I don't want you to miss out on those, uh, th- those examples when they come. Verse 2 says, and, Elisha said unto, uh, and Elijah, Elijah said unto Elisha, very confusing, Terry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to ba- um, Bethel. And Elijah said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. This is kind of a test. It's like, hey, this is, uh, Lord's going to take me home. Like we said, we have a lot of parallels here with uh, Elijah and Moses. Um, Moses was taken home by the Lord. It was not a rapture. Um, he died, and the Lord took him. So, I, so is this the day that Elijah dies? Maybe he doesn't know. I don't know. You know the Lord is supposed to take me today. And again, how they know this, I don't know. But uh, you need to stay here. You don't want to see this. <laughs> and so this might be hard. This might be a difficult thing. You know, so he's kind of like giving them out. He's like, oh, no, I'm staying by you. And so it's kind of a little test to see, you know, a little trial for him. Verse 3. And the sons of the prophets, like I said, there's a school of prophets they're learned that were in Bethel, which means the house of the Lord, uh, came forth to Elijah and said unto him, uh, Elisha, uh, knowest thou that thy Lord will take thy master from the, uh, thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. So all the prophets at the school of the prophets, the sons of the prophets, they all know this too. So it makes you wonder if it's not a word of the Lord that's gone out like a prophecy. Today I am coming to take, you know, Elijah away. And he's like, Yeah, I know it. We're not talking about that right now. You know, so you hold your peace. We're not saying, that, Yeah, I know he's going to take him. So again, I don't know if they're thinking he's going to die. I don't know. Uh, it says whirlwind in chapter 1, so I, I don't know what their thought is. This is a unique thing. It happened one other time, like we said, with Enoch. And it's foretold uh, to happen to uh, the church uh, before the tribulation. Verse 7. And Elisha said unto him, uh, or Elijah said unto him, said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. So he gives him another out. Okay, you came with me for a while. You can stay here. So he's like, nope, I'm staying with you. Uh, we're not going. So another test. Um, verse 5. 
And the sons of the prophets that were in Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yeah, I know it. Hold thy peace. Did I read that one twice? Uh, oh, okay, it is in there twice. <laughs> okay, verse 6. And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. He said to him, The Lord liveth, as I so liveth, I will not leave thee. And the two went on, so they go on. And fifty of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and, they, and the two stood by Jordan. So a bunch of these prophets come, and they're staying there, 50 of them. And then you have the two that go over by Jordan, verse 8. And Elijah took his mantle, it's like this uh, robe that he had around him, and he wrapped it together, and he smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that the two went over on dry ground. Again, a very Moses-like deal, you know, crossing the ground on dry ground. So he takes it together, and it's not the object, it's not the mantle, it's the power behind the mantle, it's the Lord who does this. And so he comes and he hits the water, and it... I don't know, I think that would be very cool. Like I said, I'd try to imagine uh, crossing the Red Sea, you know, would you look like an aquarium? Could you see the fish in there? Could you drag your finger in it? Uh, uh, we learn in the Psalms, it says it stacked the waters on a heap, you know, that they were stacked up. And so going through these two towering waters on dry ground, and he kind of gets the same experience, you know, a river that is there. I think we just take for granted the bridges that we have everywhere and the infrastructure we have. If you ever stop and think about it, if something happened right now and they took out all the bridges, probably none of us could get home. I mean, by the time you had every call, not by, by car, you know, you had to jump and go over. And so Bridges are a very nice convenience that we have all around us. And so uh, to be able to cross them this way with this ease, you know, uh, he's able to do it. So the Lord does this mighty miracle, uh, separates the water in front of the prophets, showing again, I think, Elisha, a little bit of uh, things, uh, the the power of God behind Elijah. And so he's wanting to to observe it all. So I'm glad he's glad he's gone with him. So the two go over in dry land, verse 8. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away for thee. And, and think about that. So here we have a guy who's able to call down fire multiple times that say it's not going to rain, and it doesn't rain for three and a half years, say, hey, I want it to rain, and it rains. Uh, the guy who gets fed by ravens, and the one who sits by the brook, and, and the one who's able to have a, a cruise of oil and a, and a pot full of meal that never runs out you know, for three and a half years. This guy who does stuff, and now because he's stuck with him through these two tests, he's like, I'm going to depart. Blank check. What do you want from me? What, what would you like? This only happens a few times. It happened with Solomon, right? What would you want? And Solomon asks, answers wisely, right? I want wisdom to be able to search. And God gives him wisdom and money and everything else. And so he asks this guy, what do you want? Does he ask for money? Does he ask for fame? Does he ask for wisdom? What, what, what's he want? What, what's he like? We've already seen that he's, he, he's not an easy out guy. I'm staying with you. He's given him two times to get out. He wants to stay with him. He's already been kind of, um, we saw in, in the, in the, at the end of the uh, book of 1 Kings, that God you know, has already kind of slated him to be his successor. And so he kind of knows that already. And so uh, I'm sure a lot of it is like, oh, what's it going to be like to, to, when you're gone? You know? So he's, he's thinking all these things. He said, so here he's got the blank check offered to him. He says, before I be taken away from thee, and Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. What, what you do, who you are, how you're connected with the Lord, I want a double portion of that. It sounds kind of, well, they say the Jewish word chutzpah. You know, hey, I want, I want to do what you did times two. But part of it's in, the, uh, in their law, in that... Uh, He's his uh, 
apprentice, let's say. You know, he's his co-worker as he's going along. Elijah doesn't have any children. And so Elisha is kind of like his firstborn. In that he's been teaching him and instructing him. And so a double portion does always go to the firstborn. So he's kind of like going along with the line of the law. Give me a double portion of the blessing that's to be upon me. Give me a double portion of the blessing of the spirit that you have. Now again, he'd probably kill the what we have what we have, where the Holy Spirit resides in us, lives with us all the time. Um, and he's like, I just want a double portion. And again, we're going to see that. I want to say it's that there's the seven miracles that Elijah does as we go through, and we'll point out what or Elijah, Elijah, you know, it's hard to get to, Elijah does. There's 14, or either there's eight and 16, or seven and 14, but we're going to see that it's double. His are more private, it's more in a, in a, in a personal type setting where he's, he does something to help someone. Again, I think it shows that God does the big things for the nation and God does the little things for the individual to help out. And, and so we're going to see those, but he does twice as many. And think of it, Elijah's a man who does die. God takes him up alive and yet he's going to do twice as much through him. I mean, this is a miraculous God that we serve. Deuteronomy twenty-one seventeen talks about the double portion if you want to look at that one. But uh, uh, here we are. He's asked for the double portion of thy spirit. Verse 10, and he said... Thou hast asked a hard thing. He's like, ah, wow. You know, uh, God's worked through me. And I think he also is thinking, uh, my life's not so easy. Uh, I've had a death threat on me pretty much most of my ministry. I've lived in solitude where I've had to hide and I had a bird bring me my supper. You know, it's like, so uh, you know, you're asking for something hard. He's like, okay. He says, nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee, but if not, it shall not be so. He's like, if you can see this event, well, however God's taking me, if you get to watch it transpire, that means that yes, you know, that you'll get this blessing. If you don't, don't expect it. He sees it. Verse 11. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, and man, what would they talk about? You have Elisha, who's been through all this. He battled Ahab, now he's battled Ahaziah there. He's seen fire come down, which, you know, again, the two prophets um, that are promised in the book of Revelation, that as they are attacked, you know, again, they kind of can say, if I am God's prophet, may fire come down and consume you. Literally, that's the, what the, the sign that it says that they use in, in Revelation, that fire comes down and consumes their enemies, again, showing again and again and again who they are. In the spirit and the power like Elijah, they stop up the rain, they, they, they send plagues like the, Moses. Um, again, the similarities between Moses and Elijah, that's it, too many for us to go to and what we have but right now, but maybe next week at the end of his life we'll start and we'll kind of compare the two. But, but there's just a lot of it. And so we have all this. And, and, and so what they talk about, it's your last day. You know, last word, what are you going to say? We're going to say to the guy that you're passing on to, uh, stay true to the Lord, you know, stay, stay close to him and don't care what men say. Do what the Lord says. Don't doubt him ever, ever, ever. You know, what, what words of advice? What's he asking? What's it like? And how do you know when it's the Lord speaking to you? Who knows what they're debating about? But they're, they're I don't, not necessarily debating, but they're talking. So they're passing on, they're, they're talking about this vital stuff, I bet. I bet it's none of that, uh, hey, who won the game last night? No, they're talking about life, you know, altering stuff. And he says, <clears throat> so they're just talking and they're walking. And again, it's probably a, conversational distance away. I don't think that they're necessarily close talkers. You know, sometimes you get those people standing right up on you. So they had enough body with them between there, and they're, they're walking as they talk along, and, and they don't know. So this is a kind of an imminent happening, any moment, any time. Someone's going to come after him, just like the promise of the rapture will be, at any moment, any time, be prepared. I like the Passover, be dressed with your, uh, your shoes on, and you're and your, and your dressed with your cloak on, and your staff in your hand, ready to go at any moment. We're to be ready to go at any moment. 
He's walking with his mantle, and they're going on any moment. It says, And behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, and horses of fire. Makes sense, right? This is the guy who's called down fire. So a chariot of fire. Dun, 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 dun. That's the song. But uh, <laughs> So we have a chariot of fire, horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. I'd never noticed that before. So they're walking along together. Here comes a chariot of fire pulled by horses of fire, and it rides in between you. Now all of a sudden, Elijah's on this side of the fiery horses and chariot, and I'm on this side of the fiery horses and chariot. And you got to think of, you know, we think of it like, oh, it's a ride. Uh, no, it's um and again, if I was to ask you right now, how does Elijah go? How many of you have seen the paintings of Elijah standing in the chariot waving down as he's flying up? That's how they paint it. That's not what happens. The, the, this is protection. This is the armored car. This is like having the, the beast. Isn't that the name of the, the president's car that, that roams around him? That's machine guns that pop out and armor plated. This was the armor, heavy uh, armored patent tank of the day. If you, this is the heaviest piece of battle equipment that they had. Um, horse-drawn chariot. It was fast. It was quick. You could duck behind it. It was all this. This was like the tank of their time. Has come in and is guarding the perimeter of Elijah. It's like you aren't going, Elisha. Elijah. Elijah is, and so it's separating him. That the contact. You know, he's going to be taken from here, and so it's putting distance, probably for as much as his protection as it is from what's going on over there. So it's driven in between them. It's separated them, and it's on fire. And I can't imagine what that would look like and how it would be. Uh, it comes, uh, drives them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Not in the chariot. That's the protection. That's the one that's driving around the area. He goes up by a whirlwind. He's dealt with whirlwinds too, right? The whirlwind of fire is coming down. So it's almost like this. It comes down and takes him up. Uh, that's not necessarily a tornado, but he witnesses it. He watches him be snatched off the earth. That's what the rapture is, the harpazo, the great snatch to be taken out by force. He's taken out by force. And he takes him away. The whirlwinds him into heaven. Verse 12, and Elisha saw it. Double portion, right? Because he sees it, that means he's going to get the double portion. He saw it, and he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes, and he rent them in two pieces. Because like, who can see this? You know, he's just humbled by this event. And he took also the mantle of Elijah that fell upon, or that fell from him, and went back, and he stood by the bank of the Jordan. We'll pick up there next week. But the, the mantle comes floating down. It's usually how the pictures have it. Uh, this mantle that he had that he struck the Jordan with that comes down. And it's a symbol of this continuing on. And I'll start out next week with telling you the Jewish um, colorful story that uh, may or may not be true. We don't know. It's not in the Bible. Uh, but I can at least tell you it, and we can see that there are hints that make it seem like that there's probably true. Um, and, and so we'll tell you that to add a little flavor to another character in the New Testament uh, that shows that this continues on, and we'll pick up there next week. But uh, appreciate you all being here, and I uh, hope you have a good rest of the week, and I hope to see you on Sunday. We'll close in prayer.